0: In the middle of the war between the states, on New Year's Day in 1863, United States President Abraham Lincoln apparently, apparently took a break from vampire hunting, <clears throat> who knew, to sign the Emancipation Proclamation, proclaiming the freedom of 3.1 million slaves in the 10 states of the Confederacy. But in actuality, only 50,000 slaves were set free. There were several reasons for that. One is that the executive order only freed slaves in the areas of the Confederacy that were under Union control at the time. And then there was the fact that most slaves could not read. They would have had no way to to get that information. In fact, in a lot of the Confederate states, it was illegal to teach a slave to read. They would have had no access to that information. Uh, They they certainly weren't going to be told about the uh, Emancipation Proclamation by their owners. And then some who could read or who did manage to hear about the, the proclamation through the grapevine refused to believe that it was true. They thought it was a trick. They thought it was another way to demean them, to demoralize them, to take something away from them. And some freed slaves were so reluctant to believe that anything could really change that they went right back to work for the people who used to own them. And so nothing really did change for them. How tragic would it be to be free? To to have, by government decree, the proclamation of something that you had longed for, that you had dreamed about, and to forfeit it, or refuse it, or remain unaware of it. To, To have freedom dangling just beyond your reach. It's there, it's yours, you know it belongs to you, but you... You cannot grasp it. Freedom. It is the central message of the New Testament book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, there is the the key scripture, the central scripture, the scripture that we are going to over the next few weeks come back to time and time and time again. And it's where Paul says, so Christ has truly set us free. I love the way it's expressed in the New American Standard where it says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. And the, the redundancy there is on purpose. It's to let us know that yes, we're free because Christ died to make us free. We're free because he freed us. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. In the book of Galatians, God reveals to us that through Jesus Christ, he has secured for us a freedom that is so great that is so immense, so outrageous, so incredible, so difficult sometimes for us to believe that anything else is slavery. Christ has secured a freedom for us that is so great that anything else is slavery. Anything else is bondage. And anything... Other than 100%, 200 proof, pure, unadulterated gospel produces the opposite of freedom. If there was ever a time for the, the message of the, of the book of Galatians, the, the message of that letter to be heard loud and clear, it's Today. Because it's just time, folks. It's time to throw away the checklist version of Christianity that people have been hearing for far too long. It's time to, to go back to the gospel, to the original gospel, and <laughs> preach it with purity and clarity to people who are afraid and people who are tired and people who are trying to keep the rules and the laws, but they can't. And people who are pretending That they're making it when they're not. The only thing that can set us free, that can make us free, is the gospel. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be spending some time together looking at this letter. We're going to be reading someone else's mail. That's what Galatians was. It was a letter written to churches in in an area of what we call today Turkey, the country of Turkey. It's been called the greatest statement on Christian freedom ever written. And it contains this gospel that Paul is so passionate about. Let me tell you what Paul does in Galatians. You know, I mean, most of you know, if you've heard me preach very much, you know that I I love Paul. Right? I mean, for me, there's like, you know, God and Jesus and Bear Bryant. And Paul. (laughs) A couple of those might be out of order, but, but I, I love to read Paul's writings because he reveals things about himself. A writer always reveals something about themselves. A preacher always reveals something about themselves, too, when they preach, which is kind of makes me want to go sit down or go hide. Um, but Paul reveals something about his personality to us. He reveals to us that he is a, he's an intense and he's a passionate person and he reveals to us that he is willing to be abrasive and he's willing to be offensive to defend the freedom that God has given us. The freedom that Christ came to bring us. We're going to get started in Galatians chapter 1, so turn over there if you will. Right after 2 Corinthians. If you're thumbing through your New Testament, you're going to go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the book of Acts, then Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and then Galatians. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, Scripture will be up on the screen. There's also an insert in your bulletin that has the Scriptures out of the New Living Translation that I'll be reading from this morning. Follow along there. We'll pick up in verse 1, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or by any human authority, but by Jesus Christ Himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever, amen. Now, you know, you read any of Paul's other letters. I mean, read through Romans or or one of the two letters to Corinth, the Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. First and 2 Timothy, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, read anything that Paul wrote and practically every one of them begins the same way. Almost every one of them begins with almost a chapter's worth of just love and, love and hugs and it's, it's embarrassing, it's sappy almost. Almost every one of those letters begins with an entire chapter's worth of heartfelt greetings and words of encouragement, and, and how proud Paul is to be associated with that church that he's writing to. Usually there's a, there's a prayer for them, but not in Galatians. Because when Paul sits down to write Galatians, he's angry and upset. He's angry and upset, and so he skims right over the niceties. He has an agenda. There's a, a course correction that's got to be made. But the gospel is so important. It's so central to the message of freedom that Paul is proclaiming that he cannot help leading with it. Yes, he, he's, he's kind of saying, you know what, I'm going to have to I, I gotta, I got the stick. I'm going to have to come after you. But before I do that, I want to make sure you know what the gospel is. He can't help but lead with it in those first few verses. In verse 3, he gives us the cause and the effect of the gospel. Grace is the cause. Peace is the effect. The Bible says that before the foundation of the world, and that's a concept that we're going to come back to in just a few minutes, but before the foundation of the world, God decided to send his son as a sacrifice for sinners. That's grace. And it originated in God's heart, apart from any worth, apart from any value, apart from any good works, apart from any ability to to earn it or any merit on our part. Over and over and over again, you hear me say, we can't work for our salvation. We can't earn our salvation. We can't behave good enough to deserve our salvation. God gives it to us because of his grace. I don't know whether that's old hat to you or you don't understand it, but that's grace. And the effect, the effect of the gospel is peace. The peace of a relationship with God. There's no separation between us and God anymore. There's no distance, there's no hostility between us and him anymore. He loves us, and what's more, he likes us. Man, I've loved some people I didn't like. Haven't you? Amen. Okay. You're lying, you, but that's okay. We'll pray for you. He loves us. He likes us. He's forgiven us. He he's accepted us. Things are okay between us and God. There's peace. Verse 4 tells us how that happened. We were dead in our sins. Every single one of us, dead in our sins because of the wrong things we had done, because of our poor choices and our mistakes and our self-centeredness, that the times when we thought only of ourselves and what we wanted to do and the, the way we wanted to go and what we wanted to experience and how we wanted to do things. And all of that had cut us off from God. All of that had set us up to receive a paycheck, to receive a penalty. The scripture says the wages of sin is what? Death. We were on the road to hell. But God had another plan. God had another plan. He sent His Son, Jesus to give his life, to die for our sins, to to rescue us from life apart from God, to, to tear down, Paul would say in Ephesians, the dividing wall between us and God, to take away that chasm that separated us from God, and now we have life instead of death, peace with God. Because of grace. And you know what? In the midst of all that, Paul can't help himself. He, he just, he, he's got to worship a little bit. He's, he's angry, yes, he's upset, but you know, he, he, does wanna, he does a little raise the roof there. In verse 5, he says, Glory to God forever. Amen. Because of that, because the gospel is true, because the gospel has brought us grace and peace. And folks, guess what? The gospel is just that good. It's just that good. Paul knows it. That's why he's so passionate. That's why, and that's why he's so outraged about what's going on in Galatia. You see, the false teachers have shown up. They're preaching a gospel, but it's not the gospel of Jesus. It was different. It was an almost gospel. Jesus is almost enough. I mean the cross was necessary but there's more required. It was a gospel of salvation based on what we do. Paul wasn't happy about it. Look at verse 6. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. I am shocked I am shocked that you are turning away so, so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. Our English translations just fail us a little bit at this point. It just, they really just don't quite capture it, how upset and how angry Paul is. And with good reason. He can't believe this is happening in churches that he started. Where he preached the gospel. Where they received Christ for the first time because of the message that he preached. I can't believe this is happening here. I'm astonished. In the original language, the word means confused, bewildered. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe that that you would listen for one second to these fake believers who are trying to convince you that Jesus isn't enough. I can't believe it. They were called the Judaizers, these false teachers, because specifically they were teaching that in addition to faith in Christ, that Christians needed to tack on some things. They needed to tack on keeping the law, the Old Testament law. They needed to tack on following Jewish rituals and practices in order for their faith to be valid. The Judaizers are teaching that Jesus isn't enough. That it's Jesus plus this thing. Jesus plus that thing. Jesus plus this other thing that will generate God's love and acceptance and forgiveness for you. And Paul wants there to be no mistake, and so it's right there. It's right there in what we just read in verse 6. And it must have hit the Galatians like a punch in the stomach. If we start messing around with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we start adding to it, and we start taking away from it, it means we are turning away from God. It doesn't mean we just got a wrong doctrine. It doesn't mean we're just off a little bit on a teaching. If we start tinkering with the gospel and taking away from it or adding to it, we are turning away from God. Don't get mad at me, Paul said it. Paul says, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you're turning away from God and you're following these fake teachers and their false gospel, their add to gospel, their Jesus plus something. Pick it up again in verse 6 there in the middle. He says, "You, you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth. Concerning Christ. Paul says, it's not even a real gospel. It's, it's a non gospel. It's un gospel. It's anti gospel. It's certainly not the original, genuine gospel message that I taught you and that I preached to you. Paul says, it's a trick. They're trying to defraud you, they're trying to derail you. You're being made a fool of by people who are deliberately distorting the gospel. Man, I'm, I'm glad today, aren't you, that we don't have anything like that going on in our day. <laughs> there are Judaizers everywhere. Whenever somebody says, Oh, yeah. We're saved by grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's great. But have you heard about this other part over here? This other thing over here? Then you've just met a Judaizer. Oh, oh, yeah, I, I get it. We're saved by grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But we've also got to do these other things. Keep these rules. Wear these clothes. Pray this way. Vote this way. Read this version of the Bible. And then, then we'll be a good Christian. Then we'll be a correct Christian. Then we'll be an acceptable Christian. Then you'll be a Christian just like You know what the heart of religion is. The heart of religion says to us, "You can't be acceptable to God until you're first acceptable to me." You see, we all know a Judaizer too. Why, there, there may even be some here. Well, they're coming to the second service.'re not, not here. I mean, obviously, we're here. You see, there's this constant pull. There's this constant pull in us. There's this constant pull and tendency in, in churches and in Christians and in religious circles to add something to Jesus. To add something to Jesus' statement, it is finished. To, to add something to, to Christ's paid in full. It may look different than it did in Paul's day. In some cases, it doesn't. I mean, i got... Friends all over Facebook who are telling me that we shouldn't say Jesus, we should say Yeshua, and we should wear a shawl when we pray, and we should celebrate this feast and that feast, and hey, that kind of stuff exists today. But for the most part, it looks very different than it did in Paul's day. But there is plil, there, there there is plil, there is still, yeah, I know I said it, there is still plenty of do-it-yourself Jesus plus something gospel out there. It's all over the place, folks. And Paul wants to be sure that we know. When we change the gospel, when we add something to it, when we take something away from it, it's no longer the gospel. It's not good news at all. It's something twisted, something other than the gospel. And if it's not the gospel, then it can't save us. It can't rescue us from death to life. It cannot set us free. And if we embrace it, if we embrace this different non-gospel, we have turned away from God. And so Paul is about to use some of the strongest language to be found in the entire Bible. We pick up in verse 8. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. That's, that's really redundant. I mean, he's about to say, he's, what he's saying is, I'm going to say now again the thing I just said to you. I'm going to repeat what I just said for emphasis. So you know and so you understand if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed than the one you heard originally, than the one that you staked your life on when you gave your heart to Jesus. Let that person be cursed. Now again, this is one of those places where the English translation doesn't quite get it right, doesn't quite capture the real sense of what's being said here. Paul uses a word twice. It's translated curse. The word in Greek is anathema. Anathema. It means something that is dedicated to evil and so it has been banished. It has been eternally condemned. Now listen to me. This is big people's church. Okay, Little people's church is over there. In here we talk about big, we talk about big people issues and sometimes we have to use big people language just like Paul is doing right here. Because he says if anybody comes to you with a different gospel If anybody shows up with a Jesus plus message. If anybody shows up saying we need something else, anything else to be saved. Other than grace through faith in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Whether it's me, Paul says, or another teacher or even an angel. Let them go to hell. Go to hell, Paul says. If you're going to teach a different gospel. So imagine this, we're here on Sunday, and all of a sudden, boom, an angel appears right here on this platform. And, and I'm not talking a fat flying baby with curly blonde hair, or Michael Landon, <laughs> rest may you rest in peace, or Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life. I, I'm talking about a sure enough died in the feathers angel, Gabriel, for example. Now, the first thing that would happen, the first thing we'd all do is be scared spitless. Because all through the Bible, all through the Bible, whenever an angel shows up, what's the first thing he has to say to people? Fear not. Don't be afraid. We'd be scared. So Gabriel would say, people of new hope. Don't be afraid. I've come from heaven with a message from God. You're the first to learn this. There's a a new revelation from God, a new message, a new gospel, and I'm bringing it to you today. How would we react? How would we respond? You know what's scary? What's scary is that in some circles of the church today, people would be so excited to get that new revelation. I mean, the hairs on the back of their neck would just stand up. They would just eagerly embrace it. But I'm going to tell you what we better do. And if I don't do it, one of you better do it. We better stand up and say, hold up there a second, Gabriel. According to Galatians 1.9, you can take your new gospel and go straight to H-E double hockey sticks and do not pass go, do not collect $200. Why so strong, Pastor? Why such strong language? Why why such strong passion about this from Paul? Because our only hope is the real, genuine, true gospel of Jesus Christ. We need it to be saved, and we need it to live every single day after we're saved. Without the gospel, we have no hope. And, And then there's this our friends and our family and our coworkers and our neighbors and our classmates need the gospel they need the real thing because honestly we can't be sure that they're getting it out there wherever out there is they need it we're living in a time when the the message of the true gospel has never been more needed Somebody sent this to me a while back. You may have seen it. It's an article by an unnamed author. It's called The Paradox of Our Times. And in part, I won't read you the whole thing, but in part it says, Today we have taller buildings but shorter tempers, bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences but less time, more entertainment but less enjoyment. We know more about creation and less about the creator. We've cleaned up the air but polluted the soul. These are times of free love but expensive mistakes. We have higher incomes but lower morals. These are the times of big men and small character, steep profits, and shallow relationships. We are a society of beauty treatments and ugly behavior. These are the times when we need to run to God, but we're too busy running on the treadmills at the gym. But the good news is that the gospel of Jesus Christ can change all that. The gospel of Jesus Christ can still change lives. In the time we've got left, I want to share with you three characteristics of the real deal, of the real genuine article, the good news of the gospel of grace, the gospel of our salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Here's the first one. Get your head around this. It's all God's idea. It's all God's idea. Salvation comes to us by grace through faith. And the plan of salvation is not a scheme that somebody came up with. It's not a a teaching, not a message that somebody developed, a plan somebody developed. It was God's plan from the very beginning. Just a few moments ago, we talked about something being ordained or being uh, predetermined before the foundation of the earth. It's a concept that appears over and over again in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation. It says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who was to be offered up from before the foundation of the earth. Before the world was ever even created, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you and me was preplanned, was preordained. And then in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, we're told that God chose him, that God chose Jesus as your ransom to ransom you, to pay the ransom for your freedom long before the world began. But now he has revealed you, him to you in these last days. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. The gospel is God's idea. It was God's idea before the beginning of time. Number two, Satan fights it tooth and nail. It's just been that way ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since Satan has found out and has known that he's going to lose, that he is defeated and there's nothing he can do about it. hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. He has done everything he could do in his limited power to sidetrack God's plan for the gospel of grace. Over and over and over again. Think about this Moses was born to be a deliverer of God's people, to set the plan in motion for Jesus to come, right? To provide a people, a lineage, a heritage out of which, from which Jesus could come. Moses was was set to be the deliverer, to lead God's people out of captivity in Egypt. And so Satan did what? He influenced Pharaoh to kill all the baby boys hoping that he could derail God's plan, but Moses was born anyway. He was a basket case, but he was born. He was, God's plan prevailed. Think about when Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem. And so Satan suggested to King Herod the Great that if you want to protect your throne, you want to protect your power, you should kill all the baby boys born in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. And, And the scripture says that the blood ran in the streets and that the mothers wailed. But God's plan prevailed. The gospel survived. Satan when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, tried to sidetrack him, tried to get him off his mission. Satan sent the Judaizers to distort the gospel to try to lead the Christians in Galatia astray. And he still fights the gospel of grace today. A couple weeks ago, you, you heard me say, you know, if you want to make people mad, preach law. But if you want to make people furious, preach grace. It's just true. When you preach grace, there's something that rises up in people. It makes them angry and upset. My email inbox gets full when I preach grace. Because people have so many questions, and and some people want to stand in opposition to it. And, and, And then there's this. Have you ever wondered why that you can share with some people, share your testimony, witness to them about Jesus, share the scripture with them, and it just seems to go nowhere? I mean it just seems to the words come out and fall flat on the ground at your feet. It's almost like they're blindfolded to the truth. Well, you know what? They are. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4, Paul tells us this, Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness likeness of God. Their minds are blinded. But let me tell you this. Don't stop sharing. Don't stop witnessing. Don't stop praying for them because the gospel is stronger than Satan's power to deceive. Every day on this earth, people who were blinded to the truth of the gospel Are set free. They see. I once was blind. But now I see. How about you? Satan fights it. He fights the gospel. In fact, you know, you remember me saying a few weeks ago. If we're not preaching and teaching the gospel in such a way that it makes people (laughs) nervous and upset. We're probably not preaching it right. We're probably not telling it right. And then here's. The third characteristic of the gospel, it's received by faith. It's received by faith. Just last week, we were flipping through the channels there where we were staying in Gatlinburg, and and, uh, there was a local preacher on. um, In the south, we would say, God bless him. Bless his heart, we'd say. He said, the gospel's not taught, it's caught. I'm not even sure what that means. But, but if it's true, it's not like catching a ball that somebody throws at you. Because that involves work on our part. That's an action on our part. There's something we must do. If the gospel is caught, it's more like catching a cold or the flu. See the things you get to think about when you're driving 500 miles? Yeah, if the gospel is caught, it's like catching a cold. There's not really anything we have to do to catch a cold, right? We're just exposed to it, and really, it catches us. In the gospel, God offers us the free gift of eternal life. Even though we are, we are sinners, we are guilty sinners who deserve death and who deserve hell. Faith is our response to God's offer of grace. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says this. We've read it a hundred times. God saved you by His grace when you, What? Believed. And you can't take credit for this. You can't take credit for the salvation. You can't take credit for the belief. It is a gift from God. Man, you tell some people there's nothing we can do to be saved, and they want to argue with you. They want to start a fight. And sometimes you know what they'll do, and here's how crazy we are. We'll quote one part of the Bible to try to prove another part of the Bible wrong. It's all one book, folks. It's a unit. But they'll they'll quote James, and they'll try to make it seem like James and Paul disagree with each other. They'll say, well, James says faith without works is dead. Well, yeah. If our faith is living and alive, it should lead us to do good works. But get this, not in order to get saved or to stay saved, but because we are saved. Saved people live doing good things and good works for other people. Again, not to get saved, not to stay saved, not to keep God happy and make sure that He still likes us, but because we are saved. It's the fruit of the work of the gospel in our lives. The truth is, even faith itself is not something we do. It's something we receive. We receive it as a gift. The Bible talks about the gift of faith. Now, if somebody gave me a check for a million dollars. You know, Ron Flora gives me a check for a million dollars. I didn't earn it. It's a gift, right? Now, the money's mine. I still have to sign the check. But there's no way that signing my name can be considered working for that money. It's just the means by which I receive the money. I can never brag about working for that money, earning that money through my hard work or my my business savvy. The, The money, the million dollars was a gift. Signing my name was just the way that I received it, that I indicated I was willing to receive it. When we believe in and trust the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're exercising our faith in the only way that there is to receive God's offer. And it doesn't mean that we're working for it. It doesn't mean that there's anything that we do that is good enough or worthy enough to earn it. It is a gift received by faith. That's the gospel, folks. All of that going back to when we started, is the gospel that Paul is standing up for, that Paul is so passionate about, that Paul speaks so strongly. The unreal gospel, the distorted, twisted, non-gospel that Paul is standing so strongly against, is, is, is always the message that Jesus plus something equals salvation. Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus Bible reading, Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus behavior modification, Jesus plus sin management. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. One of the all-time great movies is Saving Private Ryan. Have you seen it? Raise your hand if you've seen Saving Private Ryan. Okay, then you're, you're with me. You may not have known that the plot is based on a true story of eight brothers who were, who were killed during the Civil War. Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan is set in the Second World War, or, yeah, World War II. But these eight brothers from the same family were all killed during the Civil War. And so in Saving Private Ryan, um, it's the story of a mission to save Private James Ryan whose three brothers have already been killed in combat, and and military leaders decide to launch a rescue mission for him so that his family will not have have to suffer the loss of all of their sons. And Tom Hanks plays Captain John Miller, who leads a a six-man squad behind enemy lines to find Private Ryan, and none of them are very happy about it. They're discussing it. John Miller says he better be worth it. He better go home and cure a disease or invent a longer-lasting light bulb. When they finally locate Ryan, played by Matt Damon, the squad is attacked by German soldiers. And John Miller is mortally wounded. And as he's dying, he grabs Private Ryan's shirt and pulls him down so that they're face to face. And he says to him what? Do you remember? It says two words. Earn this. Earn this. And then he dies. And then the movie shifts. It shifts forward to the present time, and James Ryan is now an old man visiting the grave of John Miller in the Normandy Cemetery in France. And with tears in his eyes, he goes to John Miller's grave marker and he says, Every day I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. And I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope it was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've learned what all of you, what what all of you have done for me. It was such a great movie. And and it shined, it definitely shined a fresh light of appreciation on the, the dedication and sacrifice of our World War II veterans. But the ending to the movie is also a cautionary illustration of how some people view salvation. Remember Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 said that you and I were the objects of a heavenly rescue mission. That Jesus came behind Satan's enemy lines to rescue us from death. To rescue us from this evil world. And just like Private Ryan, some of us, some of us think we have to spend the rest of our lives earning it. That's not gospel, folks. That's legalism. John Miller's words haunted Private Ryan for the rest of his life. And in that final scene, in the final scene, if you remember, you can tell that James Ryan is not really sure that he's done enough, that it's been enough. That's not freedom. That's bondage. Folks, the last words of Jesus on the cross were not, earn this. His last words were, it's finished. It's all done. It's accomplished. It is complete. Please, please, please do not spend the rest of your life like Private Ryan's Ryan, feeling like you have to live in a way that earns you the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus says to you, there's nothing else you have to do. Paul says to the Galatians and to us, stay away from the bad news non-gospel and let God's grace original." grace. The true, real gospel set you free. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.